Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler. Buckle up, strap in, grab yourself a drink, a snack, some food. This is going to be one of the longer episodes that we've had in some time. Because today, the bye week is here for the Washington Commanders. We are talking 2024 NFL Draft. And with Washington right now, sitting there with the fourth overall pick, if the draft started today, Washington would pick in the top five of the NFL Draft. They would also have the 36th overall pick in the second round, the 40th overall pick in the second round as well, a third rounder, a fourth round, two fourth rounders, a fifth, a sixth, and a seventh. But when I look at these picks in the top 100, Washington has potentially six top 100 picks. If you count that 104th overall pick, that's right on the fringe of a top 100 and not a top 100. Washington right now, whoever is GM moving into next April, has an excellent slate of capital. Not only draft picks, but Washington right now has the most cap space in the entire NFL, which tells me that if they don't want to re-sign a lot of their high-priced free agents, do they not pay Cam Curl? What do they do with guys like Curtis Samuel and Kendall Fuller? Guys along those lines, they are going to be spending money to potentially get high-priced guys, middle-priced guys, or value guys to come in and be a bang-for-your-buck type of option. But this is the best time of year. It is draft season, a season that never stops. It's a 365-day-a-year cycle. Guys that are coming out this year, not just watching them this fall. Back in 2022, back in 2021, some of them even in the COVID year. You're going to have juniors coming out, seniors, redshirt seniors. You're going to have COVID seniors that are fifth- or sixth-year guys. The COVID year has still affected this class. And there are a lot of guys to get into. We're going to talk offense. We're going to talk defense. Guys, I'm not just interested in as players, but players that fit what Washington wants to do on offense and defense. So, again, buckle up. It's going to be a little bit of a long one. But for you guys out there that are interested in the draft, want to know these prospects, what they're going to offer at the NFL level from what we've seen from them at their respective schools, this is the place to be. So let's get right into it. And with the fourth overall pick, I'm not going to do a mock draft. Still a lot to be figured out there with this pre-draft process as far as who's declaring, who's not. I know in some other mock drafts from some other media companies, you guys are seeing the name Landon Jackson thrown around with Washington as we move back into the second round. Big boy out of Arkansas, about 6'7", 250. He's actually going back to Arkansas. So that is not public knowledge for a lot of people. It is not public knowledge for you guys. Landon Jackson from Arkansas is going back to school. So if you see that name in any mock drafts moving forward, completely ignore it. He will not be in the 2024 draft. He will, however, be, I expect to be in the 2025 draft, but not this year. But there's still a lot to be figured out, guys. Senior Bowl invites, Shrine Bowl invites. You also have the Hula Bowl and all these types of different bowls that these guys are going to be going to as their last chance to showcase themselves with helmet and pads on to these NFL scouts, to NFL GMs. 
before they get to the NFL Combine and Pro Days and the interview process and top 30s. Now, if you guys follow me on Twitter, at underscore Ryan Fowler, I will be updating and sending tweets out throughout this process as far as certain guys that stood out at Pro Days, where certain scouts are, where Washington is attending those days, who Washington is hosting on top 30 visits, who other teams are hosting on top 30 visits, who the commanders hosted at the Combine, who they had formal meetings with, informal meetings with. All of that will be on my Twitter as we move into these next few months and closer to specifically the Senior and Shrine Bowl, the Combine, and then, of course, the 2024 NFL Draft, which will be held in Detroit, Michigan, this coming April. So let's get started here with just just a few names to look out for with the fourth overall pick if Washington were to pick there. And it starts for me, guys, at quarterback. Now, I want to talk about the quarterbacks before getting in to the edge guys or tackles because that is really the sexy position of need right now for Washington when I look at the regime currently. Now, you guys that have been here with me know my thoughts on Sam Howell. For me, he is the guy. However, if there is massive regime changes, meaning Josh Harris and ownership get Ron out of the building, get Martin Mayhew, Marty Herney out of the building, and they do not promote Eric Bieniemy to potentially be head coach and remain as the offensive coordinator for the commanders, there may be somebody in the building that has no ties to Sam Howell, did not draft Sam Howell. Eric Bieniemy was not in town when this team drafted Sam Howell. So brand new head coach potentially in Eric Bieniemy, brand new GM. Those guys are going to vie back and forth as far as what they would like potentially if Sam is not their guy, no matter what he's done this year. Because I like the improvements that he's made as an early fifth round selection, and you're getting an amazing amount of value for him as far as what he's done this year. Now, The last three games we've seen him, right? Three straight games of pick sixes. But there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. There's layers. There's details as far as playing hero ball and chasing football games. And schematically, what Washington did the last few weeks is a horizontal offense because their offensive line cannot block. There's a lot that goes into the evaluation process of Sam Howell. But there's also a lot that goes into what to expect from a potential new regime that has no ties to anybody in the building. And when you have that, you can almost expect to go full scorched earth, meaning anything can happen at any position to any guy that's in the building. Because the guys that have the most trade value for Washington right now are Terry McLaurin, John Allen, and Deron Payne, guys that were drafted pre-Ron Rivera. Now that tells me a lot about the personnel decisions as far as what Ron has done and Martin Mayhew and Marty Herney from the top down. And we're not going to sit here and say the last few draft classes have been excellent because they haven't by any means. But when you look at this class and the fourth overall pick, absolutely, if Drake May from North Carolina or Caleb Williams, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, who will not win it this year, if they are there at four, that could be Washington's guy. However, If both of those are gone, which they very well could be, a name in my mind that could fit what Washington wants to do offensively is Jaden Daniels, quarterback from LSU, the AP Offensive Player of the Year in college football, a Heisman finalist, and in my opinion, the deserved Heisman winner 
for the 2023 college football season. And when I look at Jaden at LSU, a transfer in from Arizona State to where he's improved when he was out there at Arizona State and as a Sun Devil to now in the SEC at LSU, he is a dynamic athlete with his arm and with his legs. Now, it's been nice to hand the ball off to Logan Diggs. It's been nice to have guys like Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas on the outside, both who may be top 35, top 40 picks. Malik Neighbors is expected to be a top 15 pick at worst. It's nice to have those types of guys out there. But when you look at Malik, excuse me, when you look at Jaden Daniels and what he's going to offer at the next level, there's a lot of parallels to what I saw from Robert Griffin III out of college, out of Baylor, right? Won the Heisman, entered the draft, was the 1B to Andrew Luck's 1A, right? The Colts took Luck, Washington took Robert Griffin III. If the Colts took RG3, Washington was most likely going to take Andrew Luck. Now, for either of those organizations, really, you could say that none of those picks worked out. There was a lot of success for Andrew Luck in Indianapolis, but there was just not a lot of sustained success. And we saw, really, one year of RG3 in Washington, right? The 2012 Offensive Rookie of the Year and went to the playoffs and won the division. Obviously, we know what happened against Seattle. All that is in the past. That's a decade ago, which is crazy to think that. But when you watch Jaden, again, Heisman winner, big arm, one of the most beautiful downfield throwers in this pat in this class, excuse me. Then you watch his legs. And when I looked at Robert coming out of Baylor as that linear, straight ahead type of runner, and I look at Jaden Daniels as that legit track speed type of run away from secondary players type of runner, he is not a Lamar Jackson to where that lateral agility, extremely hard to take down in space. That is not Jaden Daniels. But the speed is going to force teams to put an extra body in the box and bring lighter guys on the field to counter his speed. And when I look at Washington's offense, and I'm thinking that Eric Bieniemy is going to be back in 2024, if, again, if he gets an opportunity elsewhere to be a head coach and not in Washington, he may not be here. It's a whole another conversation. But expecting him to be in this RPO-centric offense with Eric Bieniemy, it excites me. Now, Sam Howell, pretty good throw over the football and a very tough, physical, lay-your-shoulder-down type of runner. He is not the dynamic open field runner that Jaden Daniels is. And when you have guys on the outside like Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson, now again, I'm talking about 2024. We expect both those guys to be back. Curtis Samuel, again, free agent. That's something we'll talk about in just a little bit as far as wide receiver threes in this draft that I could see Washington targeting. But his ability to keep every single level of the defense honest, both the strong side and the weak side, his ability to throw the deep ball. You have guys that can run on the outside. Now, I want to see more throws in the middle of the field. That's something I'd like to see of him at the combine. I want to see more of him on tape, and I want to see more of it from the Senior Bowl if he's at the Senior Bowl this year. He has an invite from Jim Nagy and his staff. Would love to see him down there and competing in that neutral environment with receivers he's never worked with before. That would be a huge test for me as far as taking a guy potentially in the top five and making him QB3 in this draft. Again, behind Caleb Williams from USC and behind Drake May from North Carolina. So, But if Washington is in that spot at number four and they want to take a quarterback with a new regime in town, my eyes are on Jaden Daniels because of the dynamic ability with his arm and with his legs and how it would fit inside this offense. So, From there, let's get to some other skilled players on offense and a positional group that needs a boost in Washington. It does. It has not worked out with Cole Turner. 
I told you guys that months ago. It's not a surprise that he has really been uninvolved all season long as a day three pick out of Nevada two years ago. John Bates is your primary wide tight end. He's not a mismatch nightmare. He's a blocker. Logan Thomas, big, bulking, catch radius type of guy that I'm glad he stayed relatively healthy this year. Armani Rogers, again, I've talked about him a bunch. He's the best athlete in Washington that they have at the tight end spot, but he's out all year with the Achilles injury. What is he as a type of athlete moving into 2024? Achilles injuries, obviously they could affect the guy's overall athletic profile, cutting, acceleration, route running, all of that stuff, the comfortability to do that. Because at the end of the day, you know when Armani Rogers straps up for the first time, potentially next year in a Washington commander's uniform, his first ever route, he's he's going to have the, in the back of his head, my Achilles, right? He's going to be thinking about it. You know he's going to be thinking about it. But when I look at this tight end class, now, Washington should have added a tight end last year. Heck, we saw the Green Bay Packers take two tight ends in Luke Musgrave from Oregon State and Tucker Craft out of South Dakota State both last year. Again, on day two. Two of them to replace Robert Tunyon and others. But Sam Laporta to Detroit, Dalton Kincaid to Buffalo, those were the really sexy names coming into last year. This year, it is Brock Bowers from Georgia who looked NFL-ready when he came out of high school, Jatavian Sanders from Texas, guys like Jaheim Bell from Florida State, Ben Sinnott from Kansas State, Cade Stover from Ohio State, Luke Lachey from Iowa. But it remains to be seen if all of those guys are going to declare. Because from a top to bottom, this is not even close as far as a talent from last year to this year. This year, I would take Brock Bowers... If it was last year, right, with Michael Mayer from Notre Dame as well, going to the Las Vegas Raiders on day two. But I would take Brock Bowers out of any tight end that came out last year. However, he's been battling injury, guys, these last few weeks. And seeing him in the SEC championship game that Georgia lost to Alabama, which ultimately kept them out of the college football playoff, which is a whole nother discussion after winning two national championships and 29 straight games. That's a whole nother conversation to be had. However, when you look at Brock Bowers at full strength at 100%, I would take him within the top 15 picks. Would I take him at four? I would not. Now, there's always the option of trading back. Teams that are going to be quarterback hungry at potentially six, seven, eight, nine, who knows, even maybe further back, they may want to come up and take a Michael Penix or a Jaden Daniels. Does a team really fall in love with a Bo Nix or JJ McCarthy? With Caleb Williams and Drake May off the board, someone is going to get excited about the quarterback position and want to come up and make a move. So at four, Washington will have their options. But I don't think taking a guy like Brock Bowers to where this injury has really hampered his overall ability these last three to four weeks where he's missed games, came back, missed a week, didn't look good in the SEC championship game, or at least he looks good, guys. Don't get me wrong. And 80% Brock Bowers is probably better than 85% of NFL tight ends in today's game. And, and I mean that wholeheartedly. He's a special, special athlete that's going to be an excellent weapon at the next level. However, I want to see him at 100%. And if Brock Bowers was at 100%, you would think about taking him potentially in the middle of the top 10 because he's going to be that dynamic of an athlete. You think about Kyle Pitts a couple of years ago out of Florida, another SEC school, and what he's been for the Atlanta Falcons. Now, there's conversations to be had about what he's done down there and his involvement and his target share. Whole another conversation to be had. But as far as his potential 
at the next level, Brock Bauer specifically, it is through the roof at full strength. But my focus is when we get to pick 36 and pick 40 and pick 68, and two guys that I want you guys to keep an eye on is Jaheim Bell from Florida State, which will be at the Senior Bowl. So we know that he is declared. He will be in this year's class. And it is Jatavian Sanders. And also, it is Eric All, transfer to Iowa from Michigan. I'll talk about All in just a second. But I want to first start with Jatavian Sanders. And you watch this Texas offense. We're going to get a really good glimpse of what Jatavian is potentially going to be at the next level against these high-level defenses that he's going to face, especially if Texas beats Washington and gets to the final against either a Michigan or an Alabama. And he's he can play the Y, he can play the F, and he is a dynamic athlete after the catch. He's not going to be a 4-7 or 4-8 runner. He may be a 4-5, low 4-6 type of runner. And I, when I watch him in the contested catch areas, the phone booths over the middle of the field, making a guy or two miss. I talked about it months ago, the yak ability of Washington's current tight ends. It's not there. And not only do you have to be a sure set of hands over the middle of the field, like a Jason Witten or a Dallas Clark or a Heath Miller over the years, but you have to have some dynamic ability and some athleticism in your game to force mismatches over the middle of the field. Or if you flex out and you're in space against a corner, or against a safety to where you can play as the bigger receiver above the rim if you have to. And when I watch Shatavian's game and what he's been able to do for Texas, he's not overwhelmingly consistent as far as his numbers. But when you turn on the tape and you project him within an offense like Washington to where there are other guys on the outside and the attention is elsewhere, he's an extremely exciting player that you could throw into this offense as a move matchup nightmare and a chess piece that if you lose Curtis Samuel, you're going to need another guy behind Terry and Jahan to take eyes off of. And Jatavian Sanders, again, from Texas, not a first-round guy, but as we move into the second round, third round, is absolutely a name to know. And with that, Jaheim Bell from Florida State. Again, I just mentioned him. He will be down at the Senior Bowl. He is about as unique as it comes at the position. Transfer in from South Carolina, Florida State, I would have loved to seen them in the college football playoff. They absolutely deserve to be there. If your opinion was that they did not deserve to be there because their quarterback was hurt, look, there's a lot of opinions everywhere. But Florida State, what they did in the regular season from a results perspective should matter. It's why the college football playoff committee was made, to judge results and what a team does as a Power 5 conference primarily. And they absolutely deserved it. But my focus... And our focus today is on Jaheim Bell and what he could do in Washington. H-back, he could be a Y, and he could be the F. He can run like a huge running back, and he can catch like he's Jahan Dotson. And I'm not saying he's Brock Bowers, and I'm not saying he's most dynamic athletic tight end in the NFL in three or four years. But he's rocked up. He's got a thicker frame. He can block for you. Now, you're not going to ask him to be John Bates. That's why you keep a John Bates on your roster. That's fine. But a young piece coming in on day two, that you can move all around the offense. He can take tosses. He can take sweeps. He can be an option guy for you. You take Jaden Daniels on day one, and you come back and take Jaheim Bell, let's say at 68 overall in the third round, as far as a guy that just is speed on the fringes and also can be a lead blocker at times for a Brian Robinson. 
That's a move piece that you need in an NFL offense today. And that's where really my focus is. If look at day two tight ends and flex weapons, Jaheim Bell is a major focus of mine. And also Eric All from Michigan. Now he's more of the typical, the atypical tight end, right? He's about 6'5", 6'6", about 250 pounds to where Jadavian Sanders and Jaheim Bell will be a little bit lighter in the pants, if you will. They got a little bit more twitch and a little bit more a little bit more wiggle to their game. But when you watch Eric, now again, transfer from Michigan, and you watch and you saw how the Cowboys last year evaluated and valued a guy like Luke Schoonmaker, who was at Michigan, to where they ask their tight ends to primarily block. Michigan as an offense is very 1970s, 1980s. They want to line up and just run at you. That is Michigan. But when you project athletes to the next level, you kind of have to think about well, what they do in college, and they have fresh tread on the tires as athletes, well, then you can project them to what they do on Sundays. And we've seen that this year with Sam Laporta and coming out of that Iowa offense that wasn't good. And now Eric All goes from Michigan, gets away from Luke Schoonmaker and J.J. McCarthy, and kind of wants to have his own spotlight at really tight end you when you think about the tight ends that have come out of Iowa. Right, I just talked about Sam Laporta this year, George Kittle has come out over the last couple of years, T.J. Hawkinson, Noah Fant, the names... Go on and on and on. And Eric All, if you're moving into late round three, fourth round, potentially late fourth round, that's where I have him in my bucket of grades right now. And you want that Y and F, but just a lower athletic profile and probably runs maybe four six, mid four sixes. Not dynamic, again, as a Sanders or a Bell, but someone that can come in and have that catch radius, but also separate for you. Good hands, good blocker. And then when he elongates that stride in space quickly, doesn't take him long. When you think about Logan Thomas, it takes him a while to get his tires churning a little bit. It doesn't take Eric all long. So once those legs get going quickly, inside that phone booth, put that foot in the ground, make some guy miss, and then you're upfield 10 or 15 extra yards. And just Washington has not had that at all. Maybe it's a yard or two when a guy catches the ball, turn around, fall down. That's what Washington has had as a yak from a yak perspective from the tight end position. But when you have someone like Bell or Sanders or Eric all at a lesser version, there's a reason why he's just going to be a little bit less valued in this class to create over the middle of the field. Washington needs that in this class. So from the tight ends, I want to talk a little bit about the big boys up front. And this is where a lot of the focus is going to be for Washington if they believe that Sam Howell is the guy. Again, I think Sam Howell is the guy. I do not think capital has to be spent on getting a brand new quarterback in town. But you're sitting at four. You may have the pick of the litter of your Olu Fashanu from Penn State, your Joe Waltz from Notre Dame, your Patrick Paul from Houston. Those are the names. There's a lot of names, guys in this class at the tackle spot. A lot of names to know. Jordan Morgan from Arizona, Anthony Belton from NC State. The names go on and on. J.C. Latham from Alabama, Amarius Mims from Georgia, Tyler Guyton from Oklahoma. A lot of names to know, guys. Now, a couple insights to some guys. Troy Fotanu, most likely a day two guy, has been playing left tackle for Washington. He is going to play guard at the next level. So drafting him to play tackle, just do not, he may, he could, right? You could throw him out there and see how it works. 
but you take him most likely to play guard at the next level. And Graham Barton also going to be down at the Senior Bowl. He has played primarily at left tackle for the Blue Devils, but he started his career back in the COVID year at center. And he's looked upon within the NFL and league circles as potentially the best center in the 2024 draft class. So again, he's not going to play tackle. He can play, he'll probably live at center and he'll also play some guard for you if you have to as well. But he's going to work at the Senior Bowl. Primarily, what we all expect him to be is at center down in Mobile in that neutral environment. So I'm extremely excited to see him and I'll be down there in Mobile to get live eyes on all of these guys that I've mentioned that are going to be at the Senior Bowl. But Again, guys, he's played left tackle for the last few years for the Blue Devils, and he's projected as the best center potentially in this 2024 class. So there's a ton of names. The, the really, but really the names, guys, for me at the top, Joe Alt is going to be one of the higher floor, lower ceiling types of guys. You just know what you're going to get as a, from a big boy, a Golden Domer out of Notre Dame. Extremely refined and pass pro. I want to see him be a little bit more stronger, be able to displace guys in the running game. If I'm going to take you in the top five, Olu Fashanu is your higher level athlete to where the floor is relatively for me the same as Joe Alts. It's just the ceiling is much, much higher considering he's still extremely young. He's still learning the position relatively. And look, he's a local guy. He went to Gonzaga in DC and Penn State, right? We know Washington's drafted guys out of Penn State the last couple of years. You think of Shaka Tony, right? You think of Jahan Dotson. A lot of guys, right? The last couple of years out of Penn State, two guys have come in. Mitchell Tinsley as a UDFA last year. But when you look at Olu Fashanu as potentially Sam Howell's blindside protectant, right? Left tackle, Sam Howell's a right-handed thrower. It's his blindside. You throw him in there right away into the fire and I expect him to be a potential five, six, seven-time Pro Bowler and a potential All-Pro at the position. And we know Washington hasn't had that type of guy at left tackle since Trent Williams. And before him, if you guys were followers of the Commanders then, it was Chris Samuel. So if those two names resonate, you guys know who those two guys were in Washington. They were fantastic. Trent's still fantastic with the San Francisco 49ers in protecting Brock Purdy's blind side. But you put Olu on this offensive line, it's an excellent pick. You put Joe Walt on this offensive line, it's an excellent pick. It's the, the transition would be seamless. Now, you take a guy like Amarius Mims, who's primarily aligned at the right side for Georgia, his ceiling, in my opinion, is probably one of the loftiest of any player in this class, let alone offensive lineman. But he's been battling an ankle injury the last month of the season. How is his health, if he declares officially, going to play in to this evaluation process because medicals are huge. And if you get a medical medical red flag on a guy, then that's going to be, right? It's just going to be interesting to how each team evaluates him because each team does its own medical evaluations. All 32 teams do it and all 32 teams have different boards. But when I look at Amarius and his footwork and his hands, he's nasty as a run blocker. He can get out in space. He's rarely off balance. He does not play over his toes. He's not a waist bender. He bends with his legs. It's just clean technique. He's got the nastiness you like along the front five and just the athleticism that is extremely unique to the position. And right along that, not to the level of Amarius Mims, but you move into the second round and Washington doesn't want to take a guy potentially at four or if they move back, Tyler Guyton from Oklahoma, he took the spot of Wanye Morris who played right tackle for them last year and, and Anton Harrison 
played left tackle for them, who's now with the Jacksonville Jaguars as their first round pick. Guyton initially started his college career at TCU as an H-back. So think about how I just described Jaheim Bell a couple of minutes ago. That was Tyler Guyton at TCU. And when you watch this kid move, it is unbelievable. Now, I don't know what they feed down there in Norman to these linemen or where they find these guys consistently, but the athleticism of the guys that come out of Oklahoma, Lane Johnson, Trent Williams, I just talked about Anton Harrison, Orlando Brown, guys, the names go on and on and on as far as offensive tackles and good ones at that that are consistently playing for Oklahoma. And it's going to be really fun to see them in these next few years as they get into the SEC. It's just going to be awesome to watch them go against Alabama and Georgia and Tennessee and Florida. Just the, the team's going on, right? The talent is everywhere. And I think they're going to get a little bit more of an appreciation because when you're in the Big 12 like they were for the last long time, right? It's been a long time they've been in the Big 12, that they're not playing primarily, they're not playing the Will Andersons of the world, right? They're not playing this year the Dallas Turners and Chris Braswells from Alabama. They're playing TCU. They're playing this year, It was they're playing BYU and Houston. Teams that play some of these 3-3-5 three, three, stacks, these very unique defenses. It makes it tricky to evaluate these guys to where sometimes you're looking at Tyler Guyton and he doesn't have anybody head up on him or he doesn't have anybody to his outside shoulder. He's primarily as a help guy at times. That is difficult to project an offensive lineman to the next level and why, again, sometimes I see these offensive tackles from Oklahoma just slip a little bit. Now, again, Anton Harrison was a first-round pick. But you watch Tyler Guyton move. It is like watching a tight end move. The lower half is smooth. He's quick. He's sudden. I want to see a little bit more fire in his hands. The ability to win inside the chest plate of the defensive lineman. Shock guys back. The ultimate goal of an offensive lineman is to force guys' feet to stop. End the rush. Take the air out of a pass rush rep. And really bring your hips to the opposite guy's hips. Just stop the rush. I want to see a little bit more of that from Tyler, but if he's quote-unquote knocked off balance, because again, I quote it because I don't see it a lot, or he does get over his feet, he has athleticism to move back up inside the pocket, kick step a little further. It's just really fun to watch, and I think he's someone a little underappreciated in this class. I'm interested to see, again, I hope he declares, but just someone that I'm interested in as we move forward into day two into this 2024 draft if Washington does not go one of the headlining names, mainly Olufashanu or, or Joe Alt in the top five or wherever Washington lands in the top five or the top 10, excuse me. So those are the offensive tackles. I want to switch over to the defensive side of the ball to talk some edge guys and some linebackers before we get into some sleepers. I want you guys to know. And at edge, look, we know that Chase and Montez are out of town. And the production or lack thereof anything for Washington's guys since they've left at the deadline has been really, it's just been null. And it's going to be fun to watch and see and learn and study how Washington evaluates the edge class in this group because there is no Will Anderson. However, there are guys in this group that look at the edge spot to where it is at the top. There's going to be guys that come in right away and probably have seven, eight, nine sacks in year one. The fight for edge one is going to be all off season long. And it's really going to be, the beauty is going to be in the eye of the beholder. And it's going to be scheme fit. Three, four, four, three, hybrid front, five, two. 
four, two, five, whatever you want to do, a three, three, five stack like we've seen at the Big 12. Who the hell knows what defenses want to do specifically nowadays to counter all the pass happy offenses. But as defenses evolve, offenses evolve, and it's vice versa, right? And you have to get players that fit what you want to do on defense. And ultimately, we don't know what Washington wants to do on defense because Ron Rivera, I fully expect not to be here as we move into 2024. And with Jack Del Rio gone and your defensive backs coach and Brent Wieselmeyer gone, we saw, right, there was another joke defensively against Miami that put up 45 points this past week. And on the bye week, we'll see how they come back to play when we're preparing for the Rams this time next week when we're previewing Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay and that offense. However, when I look at this edge group in this year's draft, for me, my focus, my edge one in this class is most likely going to be Leetu Latu, edge rusher out of UCLA. But however, the, the only thing about Latu people forget is that he was at the University of Washington and they medically retired him because of an injury. So he went to UCLA and has now become one of the premier players in this entire class, not just edge rushers, most likely going to be a top 15 pick at worst. But he was medically retired at Washington before transferring to UCLA. Very similar as far as what we saw from Jalen Phillips, who tore his Achilles from Miami this year. He was medically retired at UCLA, went to Miami, was excellent, and has now become a hell of a pass rusher for Miami. And I wish the best of luck for him in his rehab, again, from that Achilles injury that has ended his season prematurely. But when you watch Leetu Latu, it's not just his ability and his pass rush repertoire and his athleticism and his hands and his flexibility. And if you really want to get into the deeper stuff, the ankle flexion, his ability to play the fringe areas and bring down a running back from the backside, his ability to ID where pullers are coming from, what tight ends are doing when they're coming out in the flat areas. Are they turning it up? Are they staying in the flat? Are they chipping him and then releasing? Are they doing anything in the fringe areas from a screen perspective? He's dropped in coverage at times for UCLA. But when I look at him in this Washington defense, and I look at Deron Payne and John Allen, who I want to see more of moving into this final few weeks of the season, because overall this year, it's been a shit show, right? With Deron and John, and just, it's been chaos all around him. We've heard John Allen almost every single week in the media complaining about what's going on, but overall, he just has not been good. Flat out, 93 has not been good for really the last two months of the season, in my opinion. But you get a guy on the outside like Latu that's going to draw attention from the moment he aligns for his first NFL snap on NFL-branded turf. I want that guy in my locker room. And he's going to be someone that shows up right away. He's not going to take six, seven, eight weeks to show up on film. It's the effort. And then you combine that with the just the extremely nuanced game that he has as a pass rusher, where he's a grown man over 250 pounds to where he can play with his hand in the dirt, he can play standing up, he can set the edge in the run game. Now, his best tape is not going to come against when you watch it against Oregon State and Talese Fawaga, who's another name to know in this tackle group that may as well go on day one. So again, the tackle class, guys, you just go everywhere from different conferences and guys are going to pop up as far as names. And I'm going to forget a few as well. So bear with me on that. Don't, don't hate me too much for missing a name or two that you guys may have in the back of your mind as well. But when I watch Law 2, he was shut out primarily against Oregon State as a pass rusher. But I like looking at those games because it's best on best 
And when you're not getting to the quarterback every single snap, like he's done a lot of the time during his career at UCLA, how is he also affecting the football game? Is the effort still there in the run game? When they're doubling him, is he just kind of sitting there and taking on the double team, which we've seen from John Allen within the interior? Or is he consistently trying to push, stack and shed and make a play and still get after the quarterback? Or realize, oh shoot, hey, I got a tight end on me. I got a tackle. Let me try to get off of them. Let me retreat and almost be a delayed blitzer and move to that B gap instead of trying to attack that C gap in the outside shoulder. So there's a lot of nuanced, intricate parts to his game. Again, Leatu, Leatu Latu from UCLA that I just love about his game. And the biggest thing for me, guys, I want to see individuals and prospects compete. I want to see them show up pre-draft. A lot of guys sit back on their laurels and just say, yeah, I got some day one grades. I got some early day two grades. I'm kind of, I'll prepare for my pro day and I'll show up at the draft and then I'll, I'm, but I'm primarily preparing for, for rookie mini camp come next April and May. For some guys, that's what you're going to see in this draft class. But for Latu, he's going to be down at the Senior Bowl this year. He's showing up to Mobile to where he's going to have a ton of opportunities in all three days of practice in the game, should he stay, to be just see his stock rise throughout the week, right? One-on-ones, individual work, team drills, all of that stuff, I expect him to shine. He is one of the premier edge rushers in the country, regardless of class. For some people, they'll value other guys highly, more high than Liatulatu. However, for me, he is my edge one. And if Washington values an edge guy in the potential top 10 picks, now I don't think he's worthy of the fourth overall pick. Now Washington still has a month of games to go, so we'll see where they are in a month's time, month and a half. But if they do prioritize edge and they are they are at nine or 10 or 11 and they potentially trade back, if they're at four to a 12 or a 13 and they grab a guy like this after maybe picking up another second round pick, I would love the fit and I think he's going to be an immediate impact guy. Now, a couple other names to know. I'm not going to go into them too deeply. Chop Robinson from Penn State. So another Penn State guy to know. He is probably the most athletic and explosive edge rusher in this class to where his get off the line of scrimmage, you turn on that Michigan tape and it is just fantastic. Jared Verse from Florida State. Now, I say this in the nicest way. I still have some concerns about Jared's game, but there's also been some times where I turn on Jared Verse's tape and I I see why he started his career out at, at Albany. Now, no flack to Albany. If there's some Great Dane alums out there, Albany Great Danes, one of the coolest mascots in, in any sport, in any college in the country. Great Dane's pretty cool. But there's a reason why he started his career out at Albany. For me, I see it at times. Now, he's a big speed to power guy. These last couple weeks against Louisville and the back end of the season to where he looks like a top 10 pick. Absolutely. And I'm not saying I don't like Jared versus game, but there were times this year where I wanted him to be that top 10 pick. If you guys understand where I'm coming from, prove to me that you're a top 10 pick. Don't rest on your laurels and the success that you had last year and come into this year, kind of mosey through the motions and not set the edge in the run game when it's on short yardage situations to where you know you're not going to be able to pin your ears back and get after the quarterback. 
I love the plays where he's able to just take tackles off their feet and push them into the quarterback. Go onto my Twitter and go a couple of tweets down and you'll see my tweet of Jared Verse pushing the tackle off his ass and onto the dirt right into the quarterback. It was back-to-back weeks that he did that. That's the type of Jared Verse stuff that I want to see consistently. I just haven't seen it enough for me to take him in the top 10 picks and make him edge one in this class. So again, Jared Verse from Florida State, Chop Robinson from Penn State, Leatu Latu from UCLA, Dallas Turner from Alabama is more of your twitched up, explosive 230, 235 pound edge rusher that you see in today's game. Chris Braswell from Alabama as well. Probably a guy that goes early portions of day two, middle portions of day two. Really just a, a mature edge rusher on the edge. Really good hands. Plays with excellent leverage. Consistently wins with his inside hand first. Can jump the inside, jump the outside. No issues with him as far as anchoring against bigger boys at the next level. So those are a couple edge names to know for you guys. And if Washington goes that route, which they very well could in the top 50 or 60 picks, that's just a couple of names to keep an eye out for. And the Senior Bowl specifically is going to be really fun to see these guys in one-on-ones to where a lot of boards will change as we move forward into this pre-draft process. So from there, I want to talk about a couple of linebackers. And... Guys, there's one linebacker in this class that is probably, and you guys are going to hear it from me a lot if you tune into other podcasts I'm on or radio or any show that I'm on in the next few months, Peyton Wilson from NC State is going to be one of, if not guys, my favorite player in this entire class. And there's always a narrative sometimes about specific types of players going from college to the NFL about high motor guys and what those types of guys look like. And when I watch Peyton Wilson and the athleticism, the flexibility, he won the Buckus Award this year for the best defensive player in college football. He won the ACC Defensive Player of the Year Award. So when you see those awards, you go, huh, I guess he could play some ball. Let me turn on the tape and let me watch this kid. And when you watch him at NC State, The effort is unbelievable. The motor is off the charts. I don't think there's a player in this class that has a higher motor than Peyton Wilson. And when I look at the linebackers in Washington right now, Cody Barton, David Mayo, Jamin Davis, Khalid Hudson, there's a lot of names, but the production is dog shit for me. And it's not acceptable because your core of your defense, your lungs is where you're most important. If you don't have any lungs, what are you? You're nothing. You can't breathe. Your defense will not thrive from the lungs out to the fringe areas, to the guys up front, to the back. They feed everything. No pun intended because you have a guy with the green dot as a linebacker making the calls to the front and to the back. So Peyton Wilson at NC State, guys, he's making plays. You turn on the Louisville tape, you turn on the NC State tape, the Notre Dame tape, three games specifically that I've watched the last few days. He's making plays. Guys, he made a play. Let me point this out for you. He made a play on a double reverse against NC State to where he was probably 50 yards away from the play. He turns, kicks into gear, runs past probably eight or nine NC State defenders and takes the guy down on the fringe areas of the hash, 40, 50 yards down the field. Same thing against Notre Dame, tracking down the receiver probably 30 or 40 yards away. He never 
gives up on a play. Now, I'm just not saying he's a good effort guy. This kid is a hell of a football player too. Watch him in coverage. Now, sometimes he'll play in the fringe areas of the defense as almost that fringe nine tech. So outside the tight end in the outer skirts of the shallow areas of the defense, he'll cover running backs. He'll cover tight ends. He can run with them. He's a former all-state wrestler. So in the run game and taking on tight ends or guards or tackles, He'll be able to win the leverage point, sink that, hip, sink the hips in the ground, get off a guy, and make a tackle. Again, I just mentioned all-state wrestler, so he can get you in a variety of ways down to the ground. He'll hip toss you. He'll grab your ankles. He'll blow you up through your chin strap. I, I can't say enough good things about Peyton Wilson. Watch him in the middle. If he lines as the Mike linebacker, what we've seen from Jamin Davis and Cody Barton and David Mayo primarily this year, when he's in coverage. He's not a linebacker that I've seen from Jamin and Cody this year to where they're asked to work in zone against RPO to where that quarterback is reading that linebacker to when that crosser's coming right behind his head, right? When I watch Peyton Wilson, he understands how to get his depth and where to get that depth and how quickly to get that depth against RPOs. He'll take a little step forward to counter the run. Oh, shoot. Okay, he's pulling that thing. I read that crosser to the right side of the formation. My head's constantly on a swivel. I don't think I've seen a time where I'm watching Peyton Wilson and his head doesn't stop scanning the defense. Picks up the crosser and makes a play on the football over the middle of the field. Or if that quarterback throws that football, he's putting his shoulder pad in that guy's ribs and that receiver's gonna know, I don't really wanna do that anymore. So Peyton Wilson from NC State, I will say it a thousand times, Peyton Wilson from NC State, number 11 for for NC State these last few years. Experienced kid. He's had some injury concerns in the past. He tore his ACL in the COVID year. His left shoulder was banged up in 2021. He stayed relatively healthy these last two years. A little bit of an older prospect and he's mature, but that really doesn't matter when you're valuing the linebacker position. And this guy right now, I'd throw him into Washington's defense and I'd like to play him on Sunday, two weeks from now, against the Rams or against the Jets or the or Dallas or San Francisco as we move forward to the back end of the year. Washington's, if they take Peyton Wilson in this draft, I will be one of the happiest people you'll see within our media because he is a hell of a ball player. You turn on his film and it won't take you long to realize this kid can absolutely play. And I know that a lot of the attention has been on Barrett Carter, Jeremiah Trotter Jr., both from Clemson, Edron Cooper from Texas A&M. I would not be shocked if Peyton Wilson is the best linebacker out of this class some four or five years down the road. So that's just one name specifically that I wanted to focus on from the linebacking position. Multi-level defender, leader, athlete, flexible, really good in the run, really good in coverage. And the effort is truly, guys, is truly unbelievable. It is absolutely unbelievable to where he does not give up on plays on the backside. He is running down everything. Everything at every single level. Love Peyton Wilson's game, and I cannot say enough. From there, I want to talk about a few of sleepers in this in this draft. Everybody knows about the top 50, 60, 70 guys. First round, second round. It's a lot like draft night, right? Guys, you guys get a lot really excited about round one. Everybody has their parties. They're all hanging out. You move into round two. There's nobody really getting together. You're watching it. And then round three, for a lot of people, you're kind of doing your daily duties on your on your Saturday. You're kind of running out to the store. You'll get a notification of who Washington drafted. Now, for you diehards out there, you guys a lot like me when I was younger, you're watching every pick for every team on every day. And these are some guys that I think are going to outperform their draft slot. And the first guy is Jabbar Muhammad 
corner from the University of Washington, transferred in from Oklahoma State, played at a powerhouse program in high school down at DeSoto in Texas. I love me some Jabbar Muhammad. Now, if he was two inches taller to get him about six foot, I think he's a fringe round one prospect. And you watch him these last few weeks against Oregon, against Oregon State, fantastic technique, quick feet, ability to reroute guys the inside, can make tackles on the fringe areas, ball production, PBUs, interceptions, that's ball production. I'm seeing that from Jabbar Muhammad. And I've also gotten to learn a little bit more and get to know Jabbar throughout this process. And he's a hell of a kid. A kid that just wants to play football. A kid that wants to learn, grow, develop within a defensive scheme. And Washington's defense right now, when I look at a guy like Kendall Fuller, a little bit undersized for your atypical mold of playing on the outside at the NFL level. Jabbar, I wouldn't throw on the perimeter right away, but you want a guy that can play man, right? Play man. Not Emmanuel Forbes as a cover three zone corner at Mississippi State trying to play man. A guy that has experience playing man at Oklahoma State and at Washington. As you move into rounds, late round two, round three, early round four, Jabbar Muhammad, guys, keep an eye out on him. Love his game out of Washington and would be an immediate boost as that CB3, CB4, and could be a special teams contributor right away. From there, I want to hop back to the opposite side of the ball, a guy that lived in the same Pac-12 conference, the now defunct or extinct Pac-12 conference, unfortunately, and that is Bucky Irving, running back for the Oregon Ducks. He is very different from the mold of what we're going to see from running backs in this year's class. You're seeing, you're going to see a lot of the Travion Hendersons, the Braylon Allens, the Ray Davises of the world, bigger, thicker backs, even Blake Corum from Michigan, about 5'8", 215, 220 plus pounds. Bucky Irving, really him and Blake Watson from Memphis, who's expected to declare, is more of your dynamic third down threat. And I think of J.D. McKissick and what he was for this Washington offense. And look, I don't know what the future is, guys, for Antonio Gibson in D.C. I think he's someone that some of you like. We know the concerns he's had as a ball carrier and the ball security hasn't been there. Brian Robinson, in my opinion, still deserves more carries. You improve that offensive line just a little bit and you can see what he can do as a runner. I think he's one of the more talented backs in football as far as young guys in their second or third year. And Brian's excellent. But you need another guy behind him that can really have some juice, not just as a runner, but in the passing game as well. And I talked about the tight ends earlier, flex weapons in space. Turn on Bucky Irving's film. He's about 5'8", 5'9", at most, not the biggest guy in the world, but he will absolutely find his suitor at the NFL level when you move into late day two to day three as well. So rounds four and five. So also guys, when I say day one, that's round one. When I say day two, That's second round, third round. When I say day three, that's rounds four, five, six, and seven. So I don't want to cause any confusion there. So early day three, right? So rounds four and five, Bucky Irving as a mismatch piece, an electric weapon that can take it the distance on any play that also has the body armor to take shots at the NFL level. Sometimes you see these guys that are five, seven, five, eight, five, nine. They don't have the armor to hold up against the physicality of the NFL level. Bucky Irving's been a really fun study, a really fun evaluation, and he's also a guy I would have loved to see in the CFP if Oregon was able to take down Washington, because I think his draft stock would have continued to rise if he got that opportunity. It's a really, really fun prospect and a guy that could fit Washington's scheme 
perfectly should he be taken as that change of pace guy that we've seen again in the past with a guy like J.D. McKissick. Another guy is is on offense, and that is on the outside, and that is Malachi Corley from Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky these last few years, really, they continue to pump out guys. Think about Bailey Zappi that went to the New England Patriots. Now, it hasn't worked out a ton there as a quarterback, but David Davis has been there, Mal- and then Malachi Corley, Austin Reed, their quarterback, he's going to be at the Shrine Bowl this year, so he's going to get an opportunity to play, but Corley's been on the NFL radars for a while now, and I would not be shocked if he's someone that sneaks into the back end of the second round. Not the biggest guy in the world. I, even, I, I want you guys to even think about Mitchell Tinsley a little bit for Washington, a Western Kentucky transfer to Penn State. Now, Malachi stayed at Western Kentucky and was one of the most productive wide receivers in all of college football. However, production doesn't mean that it's going to make you a great NFL player. Because if it was, then a couple of years ago, Devin Tompkins, who's now with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, as more of that flex weapon, wide receiver four, wide receiver five, out of Utah State, he led the country in receiving yards. So he probably, assuming production, he would have been wide receiver one. It doesn't work like that. You got to dive into the tape and how a guy's frame, the skill set, what he offers as a receiver translates to the next level. And when I look at Malachi, I think he could be a really good wide receiver three for somebody. And in Washington, behind Jahan and behind Terry, Deami Brown has not cut it for me. And behind them, what we've seen in the names of Antonio Gandy-Golden and Dax Milne, there's been a lot of guys that have tried to fill that role. Byron Pringle, the team brought in Marcus Kemp right from Kansas City to follow enemy this year. Jamison Crowder. I really like the game of Malachi Corley. A three-level threat, physical on the outside, really good blocker as well. Not as good as a guy that Kelvin Harmon, right, out of NC State a couple years ago. Didn't work out in Washington. Injuries played a big part in that, but you guys are catching my drift here. But I really like Malachi's game. And he's got great hands. The speed to threaten the third level. Don't have to ask Terry or Jahan when you're running a vert that it's always number 17 or it's always number one. So again, Malachi Corley from Western Kentucky has had a lot of attention from the NFL these last few years inside that air raid type of offense that the Hilltoppers run, led by Austin Reed these last few years. Again, a quarterback that's going to be at Shrine. Really excited to see his pre-draft process, how he continues to evolve, and someone that I think could be that wide receiver three, high, high, high level wide receiver four, should Washington keep a guy like Curtis Samuel and potentially ask a guy like Malachi Corley to compete with a potentially a Deami Brown, a Jamison Crowder, and a Pyron Pringle, which I think Malachi would win that battle pretty easily. So from there, I want to talk about another wide receiver that you guys may have been familiar with if you watched that Colorado, Colorado State. I believe it was week two or three in college football. Now, college football is really weird. They have that week zero slate, but I believe it was week two of college football out in Boulder. And the nation was introduced to Torrey Horton at that time. But Torrey's been a conversation for those of us inside league circles and conversations that I've had with scouts, personnel, and agents for really the last two, two and a half years. And if you want somebody to come in a lot like Corley, I love Torrey Horton. Wide receiver three, wide receiver four. You can never have enough guys that separate on the perimeter. And Torrey Horton is consistently productive. When you're putting up numbers at the NFL level, or excuse me, the college football level, 
Division I FBS level, where defenses know that you're going to get the football and you're still putting up 11, 12, 13 catches, 100 yards, 150 yards, 80, 170, two touchdowns, three touchdowns a game. There's something about your game that makes you different. And when you watch Torrey and you watched him in that game against Colorado against a guy like Travis Hunter. Now, in that game, I know Travis left that game a little early, but the one-on-one matchups they had in that first half were fantastic. And Torrey can separate. Excellent awareness on the fringe areas of the offense to keep it, to stay in bounds. He's got good hands. He's a, he's a hands catcher, not a body catcher. Doesn't try to haul it into his shoulder pads. He can play above the rim. Designated touches on the outside. He's got the vision and footwork to when he gets the ball in his hands. He's a little bit like a running back. Really good athlete. And I think he's someone that deserves more attention. But because he plays at Colorado State, a Colorado State offense that is also going to see tight end Dallin Holker most likely declare in this draft and probably be taken on day three. It's just a couple guys, but specifically Torrey, to keep an eye on as we move forward into day three if Washington wants another piece on the fringe areas of this offense. And another guy as well is Ricky Pearsall from Florida, who we will see down at the Senior Bowl. I can't say enough good things about Ricky Pearsall as well. Not the biggest guy in the world, but you watch him at the SEC at Florida. Three-level threat, as I mentioned. Not the biggest guy in the world, but not afraid to go over the middle of the field. Excellent hands. Probably some of the best hands in this class. Designated touches. He's going to be a leader on the outside as far as someone that you can go to on third and four, third and five. You need a catch. It's going to be Ricky Pearsall. I don't want to compare him to a guy that we've seen in the past, really with Philadelphia. Sometimes what they've done or asked from Britton Covey as far as that punt returner, slot guy, inside out. Ricky's a much better receiver than him. But as far as Britton, how he's really carved out a role for Philadelphia as a under-the-radar prospect, now, again, you go to the Senior Bowl, you're going to have some spotlight on you. But I just really have an appreciation for Ricky Pearsall's game as a flat-out good football player who also runs extremely clean and aggressive, sudden routes to separate from guys in zone, in man, and consistently present clear throwing windows for his quarterback. Jerrion Jones, corner from Florida State. I would love to see him declare Watching that Florida State defense over the past couple of weeks and really the last few months leading to that 13-0 record, I know I talked about with Jared Verse earlier, that defensive line, Braden Fisk, a transfer from Western Michigan, he's going to be down at the Senior Bowl this year. Patrick Payton is now in the transfer portal, but he's a name to know moving into 2025. But Jerry and Jones on the outside has gotten no attention on the perimeter for the Seminoles defense. And he's someone that is long. He's lanky. He can play the contact window. He can play the run game. He can flip and run and carry a guy 30 yards down the field vertically. Again, Jerry and Jones from Florida State. If he were to declare, day three pick, absolutely. Got to get in your defense. You cannot have enough corners. I talked about Jabbar Muhammad earlier as a guy I really like. Jerry and Jones as well. Again, from Florida State is a name to know. And then finally, guys, I want to talk about one player, and that is Dominic Pooney from Kansas. And I think he's somebody that has received zero attention thus far. Kansas has had some success with Lance Leopold as their head coach, and Dominic is going to be down to the Senior Bowl. Their quarterback, Jalen Daniels, has had success over these last few years. We've seen Jason Bean play quarterback for them. Their running back, Devin Neal, was really successful. 
They had a linebacker last year by the name of Lonnie Phelps that was down at the Senior Bowl. But Dominic Pooney is primarily aligned at left tackle for them. Aligned primarily at left guard last year. So that guard tackle versatility is huge for our offensive line as we move forward into this evaluation process. 6'5", 315, 320, hasn't allowed a sack in two years and has only allowed one hit in 783 pass blocking snaps. Again, going to be down at the Senior Bowl. And I'm good friends with Dominic's agent. And I'm not just pumping him up here because no, an agent asked me to or anything. I want to talk about his game. And he's someone that you move into day two and day three. He's one of the more underrated linemen in this class. And I think he's able to step in right away from coming from a pass-happy offense at times for Kansas, come into Washington to compete potentially over a Charles Leno. I'll take it any, sing, any day of the week to play Dominic over him right now. So again, tackle, guard versatility, come in right away. Dominic Pooney is a guy I have bolded, circled, highlighted, whatever you want to say. I got a thumbtack next to his name. When we go down to the Senior Bowl, and again, I'll have updates consistently, videos for you guys on my Twitter at underscore Ryan Fowler. When you see him in one-on-ones, in pass pro drills, run blocking drills where he's really good as well, leading the way for Devin Neal or Jason Bean at that Kansas offense where they wanted to run some QB power, just a really good player. And I know I talked earlier about Olu Fashanu and Joe Walt and Amarius Mims and a lot of the sexy tackle names where their ceilings are immense. Not to say Dominic's isn't, but there just has to be an appreciation for flat-out good football players. And when you think of Kansas, you think of what? You think of basketball. You don't really think of football. But the success they've had specifically over the last two years, it's got a nice spotlight on Kansas's program. And it's really nice to see a kid like Dominic, who's been really good the last two years, again, left guard in 2022, left tackle in 2023, can play both spots, and has been damn good at it. So that is a name to know as a sleeper to really just dive into his film a little bit, watch some Kansas tape, and he'll primarily align as the left tackle this year. Again, number 67, Dominic Pooney, P-U-N-I, from the Kansas Jayhawks. Again, we'll be down at the Senior Bowl and can't wait to see him work. So that is going to do it, guys, for today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed I know it's the bye week, no football this Sunday from a Washington Commanders perspective. And only college football game is the old Army-Navy game. It's always cool to see. Enjoy the Sunday slate. We got some games tonight. We got New England and Pittsburgh. Look, I know it's not the greatest matchup in the world, but football is football, right? But we just do not have any burgundy and gold football this week. So I felt it was a good time to just dive into this 2024 draft class for you guys on either side of the ball and just peel the layers back on some of these players, names that you're going to hear as we move into these next few months and into this pre-draft process, because most likely it's going to be starting earlier for Washington than for other teams that are obviously pushing for a playoff run and a Super Bowl title. So as always, appreciate you guys. My written work is housed at Bleacher Report. As I mentioned earlier, I am on Twitter at underscore Ryan Fowler. My next podcast for you guys will be next Friday to preview the Los Angeles Rams, a team that is fighting in the NFC West and fighting for an NFC wildcard spot. We will dive into their offense. We will dive into their defense. But hopefully today gave you guys a little gist of the 2024 draft class. As always, appreciate you guys' time. Enjoy your weekend. I will talk to you next week. I'm Ryan Fowler, and this is Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. 
Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.